Welcome to another edition of the Sermon Seconds Podcast. I am Jordan Bird, and I'm here with Mitch Knight, and we are going to be looking at Psalm 7 and reading through it and discussing some highlights that stand out to us from it. So to get us started, I believe Mitch is going to read through it to give us just an overview of the psalm, and then we'll touch on some points that stand out to us. If you want to follow along, this is the New International Version of Psalm 7. Lord my God, I take refuge in you. Save and deliver me from all who pursue me, or they will tear me apart like a lion and rip me to pieces with no one to rescue me. Lord my God, if I have done this and there is guilt on my hands, if I have repaid my ally with evil or without cause have robbed my foe, then let my enemy pursue and overtake me. Let him trample my life to the ground and make me sleep in the dust. Arise, Lord, in your anger. Rise up against the rage of my enemies. Awake, my God, decree justice. Let the assembled peoples gather around you while you sit enthroned over them on high. Let the Lord judge the peoples. Vindicate me, Lord, according to my righteousness, according to my integrity, O Most High. Bring to an end the violence of the wicked and make the righteous secure. You, the righteous God, who probes minds and hearts. My shield is God Most High, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge, a God who displays his wrath every day. If he does not relent, he will sharpen his sword, he will bend and string his bow. He has prepared his deadly weapons, he makes ready his flaming arrows. Whoever is pregnant with evil conceives trouble and gives birth to disillusionment. Whoever digs a hole and scoops it out falls into the pit they have made. The trouble they cause recoils on them, their violence comes down on their own heads. I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness. I will sing the praises of the name of the Lord Most High. So, the reading through this psalm, one of the first things that stands out to me are verses 4 and 5, where it says, If I have repaid my ally with evil, or without cause have robbed my foe, then let my enemy pursue and overtake me. Let him trample my life to the ground and make me sleep in the dust. And what that makes me first think of is the awareness that David writing the psalm has and an awareness that I'm not sure most people, even myself included in a lot of situations, has in a moment. Whenever I have injustice sent my way or experience injustice, most of my thinking is that person did wrong, I am innocent, and therefore, they need to correct everything so that it benefits me. Whereas David is aware here that he is sinful just like any other person is sinful. Even though someone may have done something to him, there's an awareness there that before God who can see everything, he is still sort of laying it out there like, if I have done anything that I'm just ignorant that I've done, like maybe I have done something, like I'm a human being, I... See what I see, I don't see everything like you see a God. I'm not omnipotent. I don't I'm not omniscient. I don't see everything. You see all things I don't. And there's an awareness there that he's at least giving the opportunity or possibility that maybe he in some way he's not you know, he's not sure of how he may have contributed to someone else bringing something toward him. Or maybe it's not even that he contributed to it, but he's just aware that like the other person may have done it in ignorance, and I haven't realized that it injured me in the process. And 
just like I'm ignorant of a lot of things I do and cause injury to other people, I wasn't intentionally trying to do. I think in our culture, we, we try to tie everything to an intention. I mean, every court situation is about that, right? Like the intent of what was happening. And the reality is, I mean, just look at, I mean, I can look at my kids. They do a lot of things without necessarily thinking about it. Like there's not a lot of a pre-thought that goes into it. But in their reaction to something, in their ignorance, they end up bringing harm to their siblings or to someone in the family sometimes. So that's that's one thing that definitely stands out to me within the first few verses of the psalm. What about you, Mitch? What's one thing that stands out to you? I would say I agree with you. I think the big thing that stands out to me is David's humility. And like you said, his awareness of the fact that he's not completely innocent, that there's probably you know some areas of his life where he has wronged other people, which I think also speaks to his confidence and his posture in the prayer of like, you know, my enemies are overtaking me right now. If I'd done the same thing, you know, judge me right along with them. But, you know, I need deliverance from this and I need you to show up. And I think that speaks a lot to, like you said, his awareness, but his, his humility as well. Another thing that stands out to me is here in the next verse, in verse 6, where it says, Arise, Lord, in your anger. Rise up against the rage of my enemies. Awake, my God, decree justice. And here you just have an awareness by David of that he is not alone. It can maybe seem like it could it could have seemed like he was alone, or in our situation, whenever we endure wrongdoing from others or uh, something that's painful or not pleasant, we can think that we're all alone in a certain situation. And the reality is, as David points out, that no, God is there present with us. And in that process, David is crying out to God, like, be here with me. And you're even more powerful than me. You have an ability to do something here that I cannot do as another human being. You are God. Do the God things here in this situation. And you know what ju- what justice is. You know what's just in this situation. You know how to right the wrongs. You know how to bring reconciliation. Please do that here. So that's another thing that stands out to me. Mitch, is there something else that either if you want to tag onto that or if there's something else you want to jump on, go ahead. Yeah, I think at the end um, he talks about delivering the righteous and saying that God is a God who's able to probe minds and hearts. And like what you were getting into earlier, we talk about intent, like we're really able to discern a lot of that stuff. But God can see the posture of our heart, and that's what makes him a righteous judge, right? He can see the intents of what we're doing, and oftentimes it's the motive of our actions that he's really looking out to to judge us on, whether or not that's you know a good deed or a bad deed. It's where our heart's at, where our posture's at. And then a little later, um, I appreciate, you know, what David is saying about him preparing his weapons, like sharpening his sword or bending his bow. Um, Even if he isn't acting in the moment, it's something that we've talked about a lot of times in the past, that God is relentlessly pursuing us. He's already present in the situation. Um, And even if he's allowing some things to happen right now, there's probably a good reason for it, and he's going to be enacting his good and purposeful plans at some point for the righteous and their benefit. Yeah. And even if there isn't like some sort of holy purpose, the hope we have throughout scripture that we see more uh, brought up more in the new Testament in uh, Paul's writing is that 
when it looks like all things are bleak, God is the only one who can bring good out of something that seems like it's completely hopeless and completely um, not savable. Um, and often we maybe want to try to figure out like why, like why God allows it. And, me, and often there may not be a why, because if you think about it, when we are sinful or when people are sinful to us, sin is illogical. It doesn't, it's not rational. It's not how we were created to live. It's, it's the opposite of rational. It's the opposite of logical. It's not meant to bring good, but God is the only one who can then like manipulate what seems, uh, what, what is chaotic and evil and bring it toward good. And so even if there isn't some like righteous purpose in it, God is the only one who can bring good out of it. And we see that ultimately through what Jesus did through the cross and his resurrection and overcoming death. Death is not like this moral thing that that God needs to have happen, but God worked with death to then bring life out of it. And so I think you see the dynamic all throughout scripture. And um, David didn't have this full realization, but those of us on this side of the cross had the realization that the hope we ultimately have is the resurrection hope that we have in Christ. and that. That is the ultimate good and the eternal life that we have with Christ uh, for the rest of eternity is is the hope that we have to cling to. One thing further down in the psalm that, um, another thing at least that, that stood out to me is in verse 15 where it talks about uh, whoever digs a hole and scoops it out falls into the pit they have made. And in verse 16 says, the trouble they cause recoils on them. Their violence comes down on their own heads. I know for me, a temptation whenever someone is seemingly getting away with evil or sin, it just seems like it goes unchecked and like, you know, if I don't keep them in check, who's going to keep them in check? Is some authority going to keep them in check? Like someone needs to make them stop or to be paid back or whatever it may be. And that's all sort of based on this false belief that sin is sustainable as if it's never going to just sort of collapse in on itself. No, nothing in history that has brought about evil has been able to perpetuate itself because when evil comes, it brings chaos and chaos brings destruction and destruction is not something that can just persist. It just eats itself a lot. I mean, that's what you see here in this verse is like, if someone digs a hole and scoops it out, like they're going to reap what they are sowing. If you think about it that way, um, they're not going to be exempt from the trouble that they're causing. And for a sliver of time, like when we're experiencing it, it can seem like they get away with it. But we, when we look at the broader scope of history and the broader scope of history in relation to God bringing all things to uh, his judgment and his reconciling it and, and bringing in new heavens and a new earth in, in the end, uh, we see that evil can't persist, that God wins out, his goodness, his his good life wins out in the end. Uh, but saw, the psalm definitely kind of highlights the fact that it may seem like people are getting away with stuff, but in the end, um, it's not sustainable. Mitch, you want to follow up with that, or is there something else that stands out to you? Yeah, I like what you said, and I think when you put it over the lens of looking at Scripture as a whole, it, you know, it adds up too with, it's not just in, Psalm 7, that we see this kind of idea and these kinds of principles being brought up. You hear Jesus talk about don't overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. Don't take it into your own hands to judge your brother. You know, be merciful with one another, forgiving each other as just as in Christ God forgave you kind of thing. So like, 
we, I think in our limited mindsets, think that the only way that justice can be done is through, like you're saying, our own agency and trying to keep people in check. But really it's, you know, just trying to pursue Christ in each moment and trusting him with deliverance from the evil situations and trusting him with vengeance and him with the judgment because he's going to be a lot better about it and more impartial than I would. That's for sure. Yeah. The last thing for me that stands out in this Psalm, I mean, there's a lot more we could say about it, but these are just some highlights of things that stood out. Uh, It's just the last verse in verse 17 where it says, I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness. I will sing the praises of the name of the Lord most high. And here again, it's just awareness by David of where his life ultimately comes from and who he is indebted to, to have life. And you have this contentment and this awareness by David of where his life comes from. And you can see that he has received it from God and in receiving that and in his contentment and the the blessings that he's received from God to have life, there's a gratitude that he expresses for that because he's giving thanks. He's realizing that God is someone who can do more than what he can do, who can provide for him more than he can provide for himself and can make things right that seem like they can never be made right. And again, just the awareness that David has to praise God for that, to to be grateful, to offer gratitude, to realize that he is not self-sufficient in and of himself. Like his life is always dependent on being in relationship with God. And if it were not for God being present in his life, he would just be dead in the water to start with. There's just no hope. But you see David's uh, hope here and the gratitude that he shows. Anything else you want to finish up with, Mitch? All right. Well, hopefully you were able to track with us and uh, our thoughts kind of maybe percolated some some thoughts in your mind and uh, thinking about the psalm and uh, some situations in your life where the psalm uh, speaks to certain situations in our life that we may be going through right now. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Sermon Seconds podcast, and we'll catch you next time.